And a very good afternoon, morning, or evening, whenever you're listening to this. My name is Philip Klein. I am Senior Investigator at Klein Investigations and Consulting in Nederland, Texas, and welcome to the Klein Files. Today, we're going to talk about a pretty uh, famous case that a lot of us in the uh, investigation business uh, have learned from. And that is the J.C. Dugard. You pronounce it Dugard, right? Dugard. 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 I call it Dugard. I'm from the north, so some of you po- folks up in the north. Because it's yeah. only one G, not two, like the Duggards in. Right. Like the Duggards in where Arkansas. Duggards in Arkansas. Yeah. Well, okay. I have two G's. This is one, so maybe it is Dugard. All right. And with me today is, of course, Caroline Gear. Senior investigator here at the uh, at the team and case manager. So, Caroline, good afternoon, morning or after evening, whenever you're listening to this. Morning time for us right now. It's morning time. Yeah, exactly. On Friday. That's right. And we apologize for being so late. I went and uh, got that crazy. Are we RRPG rated on this? You can do you, boo. I can do you, boo. You do you. Uh, you do me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you young people talk about anymore. You don't know the sling <clears throat> slang anymore. I don't know the slang, and I don't want to know the slang. That's why I have people like you around me. Um, so anyway, uh, I went and took that second Moderna shot. And uh, folks, I am still not recovered, and it's a week ago yesterday. I was down on my back. Last weekend, it was a horrible experience, uh, just horrible. I've got a lot of friends of mine asking whether or not I'd do it again, and my answer is uh, no, but hell no, I would not do it again. Now, do I think everybody needs to get the shot? That's up to you. I know a lot of people in my family, and I know a lot of my friends have not gotten the shot, but I, uh, you know, from the discussions, uh, I have a very good friend of mine that's a doctor, by the way, very famous doctor, and uh, we grew up in high school together, and he told me, he said, Philip, just go get the damn shot and quit being a wuss, and my attitude was, well, I'm not being a wuss, I just, I just don't, I don't know, I think it was rushed, I don't, you know, and being a paranoid investigator that I am, uh, you know, it was, uh, I guess it was kind of more of an experience for me. Uh, the first one wasn't bad, would you say? I was no one bad. No, not after the first one, but the second one. Oh, jeez. 103.5 fever, down on my back, sweating my you-know-what off at 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it was a miserable experience. But they tell me because they think I had COVID, because I, you know, I don't like to talk about it much. I was... Uh, admitted in the hospital a year ago, February. And, uh, uh, nobody knew what was wrong with me. I didn't know what was wrong with me. The Pope didn't know what was wrong with me. Everybody didn't know what was wrong with me up until the point I, uh, went and, uh, uh, what, four months later, they said, well, you had COVID. Wasn't it four months, five months, middle, middle of the summer after my daughter got mad at me, made me go to, uh, go to the doctor and then 
get in the hospital and then get out of the hospital and try to recover. But anyway, bottom line is, is that, um, I had it and I had antigens and they think that I may have double dosed my antigens too much. So that's where we may be. We don't know, but anyway, I'm still recovering. So if my voice gets a little raspy or I get a little tired and don't say much, which would be highly unusual grade. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm having trouble hearing you. Are you talking in the mic? Yes. There you go. Okay. And um, anyway, so that's that's the bottom line of what why we have not podcasted uh, last week. Now we're going to podcast this week, and then we're getting a lot of um, requests to talk about the case uh, of the little girl out in Wyoming with her boyfriend down in Florida and their little cross-country trip. Um, I do know one of the investigators that is involved in that case, uh, had a discussion with her last night. Uh, so we might have to podcast on that because it's, it's an intriguing story as of today's broadcast. Uh, there's a warrant for this young man's arrest. What is his, how do you pronounce his name? Laundry. Laundry. Mm -hmm. It's a weird spelling. Mr. Laundry has a warrant for his arrest. They're out marching around in a swamp. They think he's a swamp man running around out there. I got to say I'm skeptical, uh, but then again, I'm skeptical on anything. And uh, it's the same kind of thing. It's a, it's a law enforcement question. So we're going to talk about that today uh, under the auspice of uh, JC and her case, um, poor child and what she went through. And she goes around giving motivational speeches now, uh, throughout the United States, and she goes around and she uh, talks. She actually came here to Southeast Texas uh, long ago, what, three years ago, four years ago she came, gave a little talk. Uh, and so anyway, we're going to talk about the case. So Caroline introduced us to the case. J.C. Duggard went missing on June 10th of 1991 from Myers, California. She actually was abducted while walking to her bus stop on the way to school. Um, what's interesting with this is that there were several witnesses that witnessed the actual and physical kidnapping. Um, one, including her stepfather that was watching her from the window of his home, walk to the bus stop to get on the bus. Now, you know, sometimes you, I hate to even say it this way. Sometimes you cannot prevent a crime. There's, you just can't. Sometimes they have the advantage over you, the, whether it's a robber, a murderer, a kidnapper, no matter what it is in any class A felony, they just have the advantage. Why do they have the advantage? Because they have researched what they want to do, or they just have dumb luck, uh, and they know what they want with what they're doing. And for example, if it's a child, they're going to sexually abuse the child or traffic the child. They know what they're going to do ahead of the game. So they get the child. They don't even, they don't go through the grooming process as any of these other crazy ass pedophiles do. They just go right into the act and then they go right into doing whatever they have to do. The other set, the murderers, the bank robbers, these guys, 90% of the time have, have lived out the fantasy in their brain. So they know what they're doing. And again, they have the advantage in this case, you know, you got a stepfather looking out the window, you got witnesses all the way up and down the street. 
Van pulls up. Caroline, tell the story. So it was a man and a woman, and they pulled up and um, used a taser and tased her um, and then put her straight into the car. Um, What's interesting about this to me is that the man that abducted her, the man and woman, they were married. Um, but specifically the man had already kidnapped someone previously, another woman previously. Um, I think she was a little older than what JC was, um, and already had a, had already been in jail in the seventies. Um, again, this happened in 1991. Um, so he had a history of, um, kidnapping and he was already a sex offender, um, it just, she was held captive for 18 years. And although those 18 years were probably detrimental and no one in their right mind would ever want to experience or go through what JC had to go through, um, she was found alive. So that's, I think, the silver lining out of all of it. It is the silver lining. So let's go through the act. They pull up, they open the side door of the van. The little girl stand there like a deer in headlights. Uh, they stood, take one or two steps out of the van. They tase the young girl. Now, let me stop there real quick. A lot of people say, well, whoa, 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 what does a taser do? If you've never been tased before, you know, in our training, what we have to do, uh, since we are commissioned in the state of Texas, we have to go through what they call a secondary um, device, non-lethal device. It can be pepper spray. It can be a taser. It can be a, um, it can be a asp. It can be any one of the secondary devices that we carry as bodyguards and personal protection officers in, in Texas. And so, uh, the choice was they got a taser. So they, they, they had this taser and they popped this little girl. They step out one or two steps. They get the little girl tased on her skin. Now, the whole process took less than what? Three seconds. Yeah, uh, and, really and the little girl goes down and she's stunned. She don't, I mean, you talk about a kid. How old was she at that age? She was, um, she was 10, I think it was nine. No, she was nine. And she went down like a box of rocks. I mean, she just, you get tased, you go down. Look, I'm 235 pounds as of today and I'm six foot five. And let me tell you something. I got tased. And I've been retased five or six times during training opportunities uh, as a PPO officer in Texas. Let me tell you something: when you when that jolt hits you, I mean, I I can remember standing up and then being and looking at the grass, going, "What am I doing down here?" It's not like they spray you in the face with with uh, uh, pepper spray. I mean, pepper spray when they hit you, it it feels kind of cold, and then all of a sudden your eyes swell up and you have trouble breathing and you go down and it's a great secondary device. If you get hit with an asp, uh, an asp is a long steel uh, cylinder and you hit, get hit with that. I mean, it hurts. It makes you go down, but nothing like a taser. So once they tased this little girl, they grabbed her, threw her in the van. Well, actually they stripped her naked, completely took off all of her clothes, right? put a blanket over her in the back seat. Right. And the only thing that she had left to identify her with, which she was able to, I think to twist and, and somehow hide was a butterfly ring. Exactly. So again, Caroline throwing in that tidbit, 
that tells you these people had trained and trained and trained to do what they do. They zap her, they get her in, they strip her down. Um, and then there's no, there's no chance if they get pulled over or something happens, there's no chance to identify this child other than, Oh, that's our daughter. Um, and you know, police officers, and it all goes back to training of street officers. That's why you see street officers so paranoid when they pull you over or when they just giving you a ticket. One of our employees just got a ticket in a town called Tomball, Texas the other day. Uh, and, and, and the officer was paranoid because the windows were totally tinted, which is great. I'm, I'm happy with the officer. I'm glad he was, what's the word? Um, he was inquisitive. You know, why are your windows tinted up? Well, we showed our ID. Oh, okay. I get it. And that was an officer that had been trained properly, but how many times have you been pulled over and they don't ask you a question about anything? And oh, so I have multiple times. Well, I know you get pulled over all the time because you have a lead foot. Uh, but, um, she never gets a ticket too, by the way, it was for tinted windows, the majority. Uh, yeah. Okay. And so when, once they pull you over, so, so they're, they're, every once in a while, these wave of kidnappings will come through and officers will become more paranoid. Um, what I try to tell officers when I talk to them, they said, well, Klein, what would you do? And I'd say, well, I'd ask the question every time. Those are your children. Uh, is that your purse? Uh, is that your is that your normal hairstyle? I mean, you know, whatever you got to ask these people to get them upset and get them moving right now on the internet, on YouTube and on, uh, and I'm watching it a little bit on Facebook, which I'm suspended from again, uh, because our algorithm pulled up a word that I had used in a post. It's so innocuous. It was so stupid. Uh, but anyway, um, they, uh, they pull you up, uh, on, on Facebook, you can see these people roll down their window a little way and say, well, I don't have to tell you anything. Why'd you pull me over? And, well, cause you were speeding 65 and a 20, uh, cause your driver's life was some proof of insurance. Well, tell me the crime I committed. I just did, you, you know, and then that's when officers, you know, if they can't get the information or failure to identify that usually spikes off, something's wrong. If you, if you're going to be out there and you're going to do this first amendment crap, folks, just cooperate, give them the driver's license, proof of insurance. And if in your state requires registration, do it and just get it over with, because these guys need to be out on the street, getting the real bad guys, the guys who are kidnappers, murderers, drug, uh, cartel members, those sort of things. They don't care about you. So what you speeded, go pay your fine or go fight it, whatever it is, but just here, here's my driver's license. Here's my proof of insurance. They appreciate it. Citizens appreciate it. And it gives another opportunity for the officers to pull someone else over if they are in violation. But anyway, I regress back to, they stripped the clothes off. They had planned this thing and they ended up at a residence and Caroline take us from there. So the police actually believe that Nancy, the wife, is the one that scouted JC for, and his name is Philip Garrido. Um, Garrido. I don't know how you pronounce it. Garrido. I'm going to say Garrido. Mm -hmm. um, so when they got her into the car, they drove three hours to their home that they lived in, which was in Antioch, California. Now let's talk about three hours away. 
you know, kidnappings are usually one of two things, a revenge crime in the bigger cities, right? Or a pedophilic kidnapping where they are going to use the child for child trafficking, prostitution, you know, whatever, because there are many, 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 many sick people out there. Or on a third and very rare occasion, they're going to use them for themselves. That's, that's usually somebody that will kill the child. They'll use them for a while and then they'll, they'll kill them. Uh, self-gratification very quickly, we call it. Uh, um, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you, it's usually somebody that's known them in the past or they moved up, but anyway, it moved up through acting at fantasy, fantasizing, acting out and then kill. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say and tr- what I'm trying to explain to you folks out there is that whenever you see someone go missing, um, there is usually a very, very serious reason behind it. And you have to get into everybody's psyche. You have to get into their background. You have to look into their, um, not only their background, but their history. Uh, have they ever done this before? Have they been suspected of done it, doing it before? That sort of thing. And so that's where we'll go with this case now, is that this guy was on everybody's radar. He was on everybody's radar. He was on... MEC's radar. He was on the the kidnapper I'm talking about and his wife. Uh, they were they were on everybody's radar. And, and Caroline, I know you deal with this more than I do. Do you think that's unusual? I think that. Are you talking about? Do I think it's unusual for the kidnapper? No. Do you think it's unusual for the police to ignore somebody that's already on their radar? Oh. Yeah, no, that is definitely unusual. And when he means that they Garrido was already on the radar, he was already on the radar because he was a known rapist of multiple other women. And he had kidnapped at least two others and had already been serving a 50 year federal sentence in Kansas, the state of Kansas. Um, That's where he was in jail at. So he actually met his wife, Nancy, in prison. Um, she was there visiting her uncle and that's where she, Nancy and Philip met. Um, not this Philip Garrido, excuse me. I'll, <laughs> let me go back to Garrido. So Nancy and Garrido met in the Kansas city, uh, excuse me, the Kansas federal prison where he was serving a sentence for already, um, raping multiple women and kidnapping at least two others. So for someone to have that, type of background. He was on parole. He had a parole officer that would come to his home. And I think that's what makes this case so unusual. Duggard's in the Duggard's living in a tent in the backyard and the parole officer comes to the front door and knocks on the front door and says, Hey, how you doing? Now let me, let's, let's explain to people when you're on parole, when you've been convicted of a felony, they let you out of prison and you go on a thing called parole. Parole means you got to do certain things. You can't drink. You can't use drugs. You have to get a provisional license, driver's license. You have to get a job and you have to be a productive member of society. Those are the basics. That's what they try to do. Halfway houses are there for people who have been in 10 years or more so they can reintroduce you into the world. Can you imagine somebody that went into prison like in 1995 and comes out today? 
with the inner internet the way it is and the and the social media and all these things all these temptations a halfway hell house excuse me halfway hell halfway house helps you bridge that gap coming into society because it, it's hard all you know is four walls a hot and a cot and maybe a little bit of TV. That's all you get to see, right? And these, those are usually reruns on me or whatever they're broadcasting through the jail. So you, is, how do I explain this? The, 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 well, the fact that the parole officer had no, not even an inclination to walk into like the house or to see the back yeah. from my understanding he never even was inside that's that what house. i'm trying to articulate and it's hard to articulate something like that folks is that you have a parole officer who probably makes thirty five hundred four thousand dollars a month so it'd be about a fifty thousand dollar a year job with benefits and retirement he, they don't take the effort to go in the house and say look we have a right to go look around. We have a light, right to look at, we have a right to drug test you. We have a dr right to check your job. We have a right to go in your house and see how you live. We have a, they have all these rights that you are still, while you're under parole, you've, you're, you don't have rights. You don't like if you get pulled over by a police officer, we just talked about that. And you get pulled over by a police officer. He has a right to search your car immediately. There's none of this. You don't have the right. You don't have probable cause. There is no probable cause. You lost that when you became a felon. See how it works. And so what this parole officer did is he failed. He failed in his job. He failed in his responsibility to us as citizens. And he, and he failed for this little JC girl. But also law enforcement did too if we're going to talk about the parole so officer, i know we're just dealing with parole now go to law during the 18 years that she was held captive um garrido raped her um had her handcuffed for almost nearly three years um and during one during during two at least two times that he raped her she became pregnant so she does have two children with this man and um i believe they're two daughters and so she, from everything that we know and what we've read and what JC herself has told the public is that she raised these two daughters. She raised them the best that she knew how. She learned things from the limited TV that she was allowed to watch within the tent that was set up for her. Um, I believe there was a basement that she was in at one time. But um, as these kids were playing in the backyard, what caught me the most or what I found the most interesting is that their neighbor actually was looking through the fence and they had a tall, I think it was like an eight foot fence or some sort of tall fence that um, was around their property. And this man, this neighbor was just heard children laughing. And so he looked through the fence and saw two children. And he was like, well, that's weird because they don't have any children. So he actually called the police and made a report asking for police to come over there um, just to see what was going on. And they never even went to the backyard. So he, in the police call, it's, he states that there were tents, that there were children living in and playing in the backyard and this, that, and the other, and the police didn't do one damn thing about it. 
Now, on the police side, I will defend the police side. They have to have probable cause to go in. If 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 one or more people are living there, so you have your su- you have your person. I want to call him a suspect, but if you have your person, they can go in if he's living there by himself. But if he's married or has cousins or whatever, well, they can't go in without a probable cause or be permission. Right. So while I do agree with that, though, the main question for me is if he is a registered convicted sex offender at this time, he's not allowed to have children in this property. And correct? you put one and one together. I mean, you absolutely put one and one together. But again, it goes back to training of police officers, what to look for, what not to look for. And again, well, I know some of y'all are cops out there that listen to this. Read up on your law. I know you guys are so busy. I I get it. And I and 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 right now it's not the greatest time in the world to be a cop. I I get that. And it, and you're demoralized. And and but there are got people out there. I say guys, girls, everybody. There are citizens out there that believe in you. We believe in you. We believe in the rule of law. We believe in what this country stands for. And folks. If you're one of those anti-coppers out there, uh, I, I, the only thing I've got to tell you is, is don't come crying when they come beating your door down, the bad guys do, and then you stand there with a the phone and go, oh, help me, help me, that they're, they're going to be the first people you call as the police officers, and you're going and, and, and to rely on them to A, catch them so it doesn't happen again, but B, most importantly, to get your stuff back or to get your life back. And I got to say this, folks, we here in the United States, we love to blame other people. We really do. We love to blame other people for our problems. Okay. We all have a little bit of narcissism in us. I didn't do it. It wasn't my fault. He did it. Not me. Uh, He was his idea. You know, we're teaching that to our children. Okay. And that's pretty damn scary. And now that we got these younger cops coming in from school and they putting the badge on, they putting the gun on and they're putting all this on and they've got the power, right? You're a police officer. You got the power. Okay. Under rules, you got the power. And so if you've got the power, channel it in the right direction, channel it under the rules, channel it under your way of enforcing the law under the auspice of the constitution of the United States. But folks, we're getting these young police officers in that love to turn on the whistle and love to turn on the red lights and love to pull you over and write you a ticket or, you know, it's, it's, it goes to the old saying, be what you're going to be, which is how you're trained to be, which is a police officer. Okay. Follow the laws. Same thing they teach us in our academies. Follow the laws because in the end, stuff gets thrown out when you get to court. It's never about the arrest. It's always about the court, as many of us all know. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. Let's take a quick break. Uh, We'll come back. And then we're going to talk about the find and how it happened and how it went down. You're listening to The Klein Files. Are you a hot mess like me, always on the go and putting everyone else's needs above your own? Then Her Messy Life, a Southern Chic Boutique, is here to help you. 
with new arrivals weekly ranging in sizes from small to 3X, you can spice up your outfits and indulge in some much-needed retail therapy at Her Messy Life. Make sure to use the coupon code CLIN15 for 15% off at hermessylife.com. Shop today and find your new favorite item. All right, welcome back. My name is Philip Klein, Caroline Gear here with me, and this is the Klein Files on, uh, what are we on? We're on everything now, Spotify, Apple, we're on all this all stuff now. I don't understand it still. I, mean, I did a radio show for how many years? 12 years? Political yeah. talk show? Mm -hmm. 12 years I did. Number one political talk show in Southeast Texas. And uh, it was a different world then. I had editors and staff sat in a soundproof room. It was really nice. And then all of a sudden I decided I was done with all that and was going to get back to doing what I loved. It was my fun job. I have, I usually have two or three jobs I do. Um, anyway, so we were talking about the JC Dillard case. And so Caroline, I want you to go slow right now. And I want you to talk about the capture of JC. Okay. So the capture was what I would call in the PI world, just almost a fluke that she was even found. Um, in 2009, Garrido visited the University of California, Berkeley with two adolescent girls. Um, they were just, I guess, going around looking at the campus. He took the two girls, um, the two adolescent girls that were with him. While they were visiting campus, a woman thought, I don't know if it was a conversation that happened or if an incident happened that, that this woman just had an eerie feeling and thought something was very strange. And she called the police and had um, the police come out. Well, a report was made. I guess Garrido went home with these two girls. No one stopped them. Um, I mean, it's not like he was arrested or not like any anyone was told, you know, these girls had to go with police or anything. Um, but when they started researching him and who he was either after the fact or after this report was made, I think the, the circumstances of that may be a little unclear. But the police um, contacted his parole officer and his parole officer ordered him to take the girls to the parole office um, to where, wherever he lived. He did that. And when he did, he took their mother with them, which was JC Duggard. So this was the first time that she had surfaced publicly that people became aware of, or that, that this is where she was realized that she was a missing person and she was alive. Um, this happened at the parole office and, um, the parole, I guess the parolee called the police and that began. Now, how long had she been missing? 18 years, 18 years, folks. This girl had been missing 18 years since she had been kidnapped. Think about that. No, really think about that. 18 freaking years now. As investigators, when we get a case, the first thing we do, obviously, on a missing persons case is look at the family because that's you got to rule them out first. Because 
If not, you could share something with them that you're doing and then they could go cover it up or in the retrospect, they could come up with a plan to continue to hide that person or that body or whatever the case may be at that point. When you have a missing person, one of three things has happened to them. They've had a nefarious abduction for whatever reason. There has been an accident where they were driving their car or they were doing something and going on a hike or falling off a cliff or whatever. Okay. That's for the search and rescue guys, right? Usually you, you know, they've left their car or they've left something when they're out and about or third, which is even more horrible is, is these homicides kind of like the Tom Brown case that we've done uh, the case up in Oklahoma uh, that we uh, that we're still working to this day. Uh, we've been involved in that case uh, seven years. Uh, you know, God bless Paula Fielder. She keeps that case alive, and 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 God bless her. We we stand next to her. She's just a wonderful woman. Um, and usually, uh, those type of homicides are, of course, one of three things. They're planned, right? So, capital murder charges can be filed on that person. It was an accident, right? A manslaughter case. I'm not so sure that the Brown case is not a manslaughter case. Uh, Kids screwing around with a gun. Gun went off. Kid's dead. Uh, Or third, uh, which is is more important, which would be a a suicide or a, a fake or a fake type death. And... Um, you know, people still do go get a gun and they still go out in the middle of the woods and shoot themselves or do whatever, go to their favorite place or go to their favorite town or go, you know, something happens to them. But these are becoming very rare. Wouldn't you say at this point, those sort of things are kind of rare. Yes. So if we don't see evidence of a, of, of a homicide, then the next thing we go to is, okay, they're either A, on the run, right? Like these parental kidnappings we do all the time. Um, and you find them and it's kind of like, whoa, you know, these people are really screwed up. Uh, like the Inks case, boy, that lady's a mess. And, or, 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 um, they have been actually physically kidnapped and they're being used for some reason, or whether that be ransom, whether that be the drug cartels, whether that be something that's going on out there. So those are the dangerous cases. So in, 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 in Dugard's case, it's amazing that these two people were able to hold them at this residence for 18 years, two kids. It's just amazing. And then, the arrogancy of the kidnapper where, yeah, okay, I'll get their mom and bring them up to the police station. And they did. And they said, well, what's your name? Well, my name's JC. Duggard? Well, actually, before she even admitted that she was JC Duggard, she, Duggard, she was going by a false identity of Alyssa. And so... Um, I think that's what, how he thought he was going to get by with it. Yeah. But JC was smarter than that. She remembered her name. She knew who she was. Uh, and then she just blurted it out and everybody jumped on it. So let's get into teaching now. Caroline does extensive research 
that's her job around here is does does extensive research on victims because you know i'll say it again and i think i've said it in one of these podcasts some of our best work we've done here at this office can never be told we, we there's some of the greatest work we've done with governmental agencies and we work with them all do we not caroline we do U.S. Marshals, Secret Service, NSA, CIA, you know, we've worked with all of them, right? We have worked with them all. And there are certain types of victim uh, syndromes that come out. And, and people that are way smarter than me, Caroline being one. I don't know about that can can decipher just within five minutes of talking to these people of of what they've gone through in Duggard's case there was a suggestion that she had the stockholm syndrome now caroline explain to our listeners what the stockholm syndrome is so stockholm syndrome is an emotional response um it happens um to some that are either abused or hostage victims um when they develop positive feelings toward an abuser or a captor. Now it, I'm going to relate it to what I know. A lot of the times when we have these mothers who grab their children and run with them down to Mexico or used to, because you can't now you get your head cut off down there. Um, even guys like me, you know, I'm a little nervous about the cartels these days. They're not the nice, friendly people, the cash croppers, uh, you know, they have cash and crop and don't mess with their cash and crop and they don't give a damn what's going on. They'll help you find these kids. It isn't that way anymore. Right now there's a big war going on down there, but I can only relate it to what I know. So I've interviewed some of these mothers that we've brought back. And I say that in parentheses, they're not really mothers. They're, uh, selfish, selfish, spoiled brats that didn't like daddy. So I'm going to get daddy. I'm going to make something up about him. And then the courts go, okay, you're full of crap. Give the child to the dad. Okay. I'll go get her. And they take off and hit the border. I mean, it's just, Oh, I hate these people. That's what makes my job fun. I get to hunt people for a living. But anyway, your bottom line is, is these, 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 some most, I'd say 90% of these women have been sexually abused as children by their fathers. And that's where this stuff comes from. They don't trust men, but they're willing to spread their legs for men because they want to feel loved by daddy, right? I mean, I know I'm being graphic, but that's the truth. And what they do is they have different types of syndromes, Stockholm syndrome. They have, um, um, Trauma bonding. Trauma bonding. Name some of them. God, I mean, there's, there's so many of them there's now. There's a lot of different ones. These psychologists are going wild on us, coming up with all these syndromes that they're presenting in court, which, you know, quite frankly, some of them are damn close to what we see out here. Right. Um, but the bottom line in this case is they felt she had Stockholm syndrome or the parental uh, alienation issues that that that, that the, these two bad guys had, uh, and which she got hooked up in the middle of. So, 
tell us a little bit, Caroline, about, tell us a little bit about. So in this particular case, she. Yeah, but what I'm looking for for the audience is, is I want you to tell them a little bit about what they should look for before you get into what happened with her. What, what, give them a little bit, give the, give our listeners a little bit of the, the, the signs and symptoms of, of the Stockholm syndrome and the signs and symptoms of some of these syndromes. Well, the Stockholm syndrome and, and trauma bonding are somewhat in the same trauma bonding is the psychological response to abuse um, or occurs when the abused person forms an unhealthy bond with the person who abused them. Um, this is abusive people or um, cycles of abuse that are followed by remorse, basically. So the difference, I guess it's kind of like the man that comes up and hits the woman in the face and she goes down and goes, Oh, I'm so sorry. And helps pick her up. Okay. Am I right? Am I accurate? Yes. But they, but they have a sense of loyalty to the, to the man Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. That's right. In JC's case, it's because she has two children with, with her rapist, her abuser. Right, right. And so, you know, a lot of the uh, question, and I guess uh, thank you for everybody that did our polls on who who was aware of what trauma bonding was and who was aware of what Stockholm Syndrome was. Because even though they're one and the same, they're also very different. You have um, one that's more of a response to the abuse, whereas with Stockholm children syndrome, excuse me. Um, it's like, it's more emotional. So trauma bonding is more of your, you have this bond with someone because of what's happened to you. Mm -hmm. Um, in JC's situation, it's because she has two, um, children with this man, but in the Stockholm syndrome aspect of JC's case, what they believe was significant enough to believe she had Stockholm syndrome was because she did play this false identity person of Alyssa um, when they were in the parole office. When they all went to the parole office, she played the false identity card until she was separated. Once she became separated and they were interrogating her about who she was and who these children were was when they said, no, there's no way because we already know this dude's background. And they knew that he didn't have, uh, I think it was a cousin with two children. Um, They already had known and were aware of what his background was. So once they were able to establish that she was JC, that's when everything changed. That's right. and so. That's when the psychologists come in and the intensive work comes in for the victim, right? Let's so let's break it down into the, the persecutor and the victim. The victim immediately goes into psychological training and help. That it's kind of I tell Carolina and the staff all the time on our meetings, it's so far out of our genre that we do here. Thank God for the professionals that have the minds to help these people in JC's case, they, they immediately, um, got her into some help, got her oriented in back into society. Remember at the beginning of this, we talked about society and getting back into society. It's kind of like these parolees that come out of prison. That's why they fail so much. Cause all they know is what they know, right? Being a criminal. 
All she knew is what she knew, which is growing up in a basement and then growing up in a tent in the backyard and having a man that kidnapped her, sexually abuse her, traffic her, basically what he did, and got her pregnant a couple of times. She had a couple of babies, and uh, and there you go. So they had to deprogram her. Look, not all men are like this, number one, but number two, not all people are like this that have held you captive. What they did was wrong because she didn't know the difference between right and wrong, right? And third is that somehow we're going to have to do what they call a reset. We're going to have to do a reset of your brain, kind of a reset of what you know, what you don't know, right? What you know and what you don't know. I think one of the questions they asked her was, do you know who the president of the United States was? And she was like, "Mm, what's the president of the United States? She had no formal education. Anything that she had learned was because either Nancy, the wife, had provided something to her or she watched very limited TV of like two channels. Exactly. Well, cartoons and what was the other one? I think it was PBS, if I remember reading it right. And so, so, okay, so we have that, right? Okay, so now you go to the, to the persecutor. You go to the criminal. There's nothing you can do other than present it to the court and let the judge say, okay, we're never going to let that happen again. You're gone. Goodbye. Adios. Sayonara. You're gone for the rest of your life. And that's exactly what happened to these two nutbags. Uh, And so now let's take it to what we, in our strategy, it is here, Caroline. Tell, 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 Tell everybody, you know, you're the you're the one that answers the phone and, and and listens to folks when they call us and say, "Oh my God, he's missing. He's you know he's been gone. We don't feel like we're getting anywhere with the police. We don't feel like we're getting anywhere." What do you What do you tell folks well, so before you bring me involved? So when somebody calls and and initially wants to speak with us regarding a missing person, um. I don't just immediately go and like Google their name and see all the articles because I just don't think that that's beneficial. What I prefer to do is sit there and talk to whoever's calling, whether it's a family member, a parent, a friend, a family friend, whatever the case is. Sometimes in our case, we even have law enforcement that will call us and say, Hey, can you just give us your take on this? So what we do is we actually, we've had federal agents call us Mm -hmm. uh, from different agencies and say, Hey, let us tell you about this case. Would you give us your take on it? That's a true honor for us. Right. It is. It really is. And so I'll listen to what those, what the circumstances are. I'll listen to how the kidnapping happened or how the per- the person became a missing person. Um, and then I'll think, or I'll sit there and look at some of the background history of this person or their family, whoever was involved or not involved or who quote was the last person to see this person, you know, I hate to say it, but you always do look at the family first. And I think we always look at the people closest to the person that is missing first, because that's just what you do more what nine times out of 10 you're going to have a kidnapping that has some personal string to it. Again, of course, unless it's uh, sex trafficking, unless it's drug cartel rated uh, related, excuse me. Um, But if it's not one of those, then more than likely it's going to be someone, you know, 
Right. And, and, and I know a lot of you out there are like what, drug cartel related folks. We get those cases more than you think where someone's disappeared. The police have identified a car that was stolen in San Antonio or Austin or somewhere. They've tracked the car down to a known drug cartel. So there's your cartel match. And people ask, well, how, how are you able to solve those crimes? Well, we solve them two ways. Number one, if it is cartel related, that person who was kidnapped was either involved with the cartels, right? Selling drugs for them, maybe running money, maybe running trucks or whatever the ca case may be. And most likely they're going to be dead. I mean, the cartels, they're just so ruthless right now. I mean, they'll just, if you disagree with how they think, they'll shoot you in the head. They don't care. I mean, they just don't care. What, are they going to go to jail? Ain't going to happen, right? Just not going to happen. They run Mexico. Or two, they're being held hostage somewhere because someone close to them is involved with the cartels. So what you have to do is you have to break it down. You have to break it down. What's the problem? Okay. You have to go with where the problem is. So I hope that gives you some kind of an idea when we talk about the cartels. The second one is we've even had cases way back when I first started where there was a missing girl out of Houston, Texas. And, um, and again, this is one of those cases that, you know, I'll never be able to, you know, I won't be able to write about, I won't be able to talk about in my older years where her sister and her actually had a relationship of a love hate. They loved being sisters, but they hated each other. And one sister started dating one boy and this is back in 1980, golly, I want to say. No, no, no. 91, 91, 92. One of the first years I was involved in all this. And the, the other sister wrote a letter of goodbye. I'm running away. I'm going to California to be a whatever in the movie business. When in actuality, what had happened was that the other sister had strangled her in the backyard by the swimming pool and drowned her and then got her body, drug her body. And she was just a little five foot, one little thing, maybe 90, hundred pounds, cute little thing, brought her little car threw her in the back. It was a BMW <laughs> threw her in the back of the BMW and took her and went and buried her down at the beach, got a shovel, buried her at the beach. And then when the cops looked at her car, she said, yeah, I went to the beach and go to the beach all the time. And the mom and dad said, yeah, yeah. She goes, she's a beach bunny. And she was, she was a beach bunny. And so when we got involved, it was one of our first really large cases around this joint back in the nineties. Um, you know, I interviewed her and I said, what's this, 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 and when did you do this, 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 this? Oh, okay. And I went to the parents and said, look, how many times a week does she go to the beach? She goes, oh, she goes about once or twice a week. You know, we're like 30 miles away. Anyway, long story short, I noticed that this little girl, every time I talked to her, the first time it was Miss Bubbly. Well, that's your sister's missing. You're not going to be Miss Bubbly. Second time I talked to her, she gave me some details from the first interview that I 
asked and she, oh, I don't remember. I, I can't, I don't know. I'm so upset. Okay. You're upset. The third interview is when I confronted her with her lies. So my first, when I put her in the room and there was a HPD officer sitting next to me and they said, take a shot at her. I said, okay. So I walked in and said, Hey, X, Y, Z, how are you? She goes, I'm fine. So let me ask you a question. She goes, sure. Which beach did you bury her in? She just stared at me. I said, always remember the quota. Investigators already know the answers to questions when we ask you. She busted out crying, fell on the floor, flipping around like a two-year-old thinking she was going to get out of it by screaming and yelling. I said, I, I got on my knees and I sat her up. I said, this is the first day of the rest of your life. I said, now, will you take me to her? And she said, yeah, I will. And we put her in my car, got a police officer with us. It's kind of scary, Caroline. I never handcuffed her either. That was a weird deal. And so got down to the beach and she said, stop here. And she walked out and she goes right here in the sand dune. And sure enough, there the, there the child was, four feet in the ground, beautiful 16-year-old girl. And that was a good case study for me, being one of my first, obviously. But secondly, is getting into the psyche of people and what they do in cases like this. JC was completely different. She was just a, a four-year-old walking down a road and bzz, got buzzed and uh, and was stolen. Okay. Nine-year-old. Nine-year-old. Excuse me. What did I say? Four? Four. My bad. Nine-year-old gets buzzed and then is held for 18 years. Now, okay, so think. So there you go. That's a victim. But by the time we were done with this case down in Houston where the kid was buried, okay, we found out that this girl that killed this other girl was being played fiddle-faddle by her grandfather. The anger that built up in her, I'm never good enough, I'm never good enough, I'm never good enough, finally exploded itself and vomited on the table to being able to kill her only sister. Think about that. You talk about Stockholm syndrome. We talk about alienation all the time. We talk about how men don't trust women and women don't trust men. And that usually leads us to something bad. You know, when you lose trust in the system, you lose trust with other people. It's usually a bad thing, and bad things will happen. That's how we investigate these cases. Get into your head. Smarter people like me, excuse me, rephrase, smarter people than me, like Caroline and her crew, they figure it out pretty quick. And that's what's made us successful here. I mean, you know, I'm in the twilight of this whole thing. I got a few more years left in me. But I see the young minds that that have learned from the old and that are the new, like Caroline and, again, her crew. You know, I just wish our government and our government police agencies could recruit some of these great 
young people because uh, the private industry is thriving right now with smart people like Caroline and her crew. Old guys like me, we can, you know, we know how to get on the ground and hunt it. Young guys like that know how to get in your mind. Thanks for listening to us this week. Next week, I think we're going to take a shot at, uh, depending upon what happens, our swamp boy running around in the swamp. I've been invested in this Gabby Petito case since <laughs> no, day one. Boy, and I watched Nancy Grace the other night for the first time. Oh, my God. Nancy Grace had a couple of knives in her hand. That boy wouldn't have a chance. I'm telling you, she'd chop him up like minced meat. Uh, but I think there's more to all this. I think the FBI's not talking. Don't you see red flags all over this case? Uh, yeah, I mean, the FBI's just keeping their their cards close to them. I think that they know way more than what um, people think that they know. I, th I mean, I think that they know. I think mommy and daddy have a little idea. bit to play with this. Oh, hell yeah. And I think the mommy and daddy uh, of the of the of the uh, of the son have a lot more to play with this. But we're going to research it down, and then we're going to kind of tell you what we think. If he's still missing, we will tell you where we think we'd look. Uh, and by the way, may I say blessings and prayers to that family uh, up in New York that lost their daughter. Uh, blessings and prayers to them. I, I, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If my daughter or my son ever went missing, uh, the police, they wouldn't. <laughs> Just follow me, guys. Come on. And uh, anyway, we'll keep you updated. And one other quick thing. We're going to talk about uh, the press conference for the Tom Brown case will be October 20th in Canadian. I think we're going to talk about maybe broadcasting it live, um, but we'll keep you updated and we'll let you know. All right. If you haven't already, make sure you're following us on Instagram at Klein Investigations and make sure you are um, subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, The Klein Files. It'll notify you of all of our new episodes exactly when they're released. And thank you so much for listening. Y'all have a great week. Bye.